Welcome to the Tech Talks podcast. Today, I'm joined by Rich Summerfield, CTO at Surmise. Hi, Rich. How are you doing? Hi, Jay. I'm great. Thanks. Yourself? Good. Yeah, not so bad. Not so bad. Very hot now. It's, it's heated up in the room. Yes. Well, look, obviously, I think for people who don't know who you are, um, could you introduce us to Rich? Yes, I'm CTO, Chief Technology Officer at Surmise. Uh, Surmise is legal tech software business aiming at kind of digitizing, contracting, and really trying to improve and advance how people work with contracts in businesses particularly. Amazing. Fantastic. So obviously I know a lot about Surmise. Um, it's a very exciting business, but you weren't always at Surmise, of course. When you first got into technology, how did you start in tech and how did you get to where you are now? So it started way back whenever it was in the uh, the 80s. I was born in the late 70s, but it started in the 80s. My dad was kind of involved in a bit of IT, not on the programming side or anything like that, but he was involved in IT. And we got an Amstrad, so similar to the Sinclair Spectrum, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Brought home, and when you booted these things up, different to consoles today where you're straight into a game, it was straight into a command line, and you had to start typing if you wanted to do anything. Right. So I just kind of played around with it, really, and just... I loved I loved kind of interacting with the computer and kind of understanding how it worked, peeling back the layers, and then it kind of just went through there, really. Went from uh, playing with that to the next level of computers and then eventually going to uh, university here in Manchester, which was great, do computer science. And then beyond that, I've been in a few different industries, uh, still in like tech and doing programming, uh, and seen quite a few like um, telecoms, was one of the early ones and then kind of shifted into different things and then ended up at Surmise. So, yeah, really, really fortunate to have had the career I've had and the learnings I've had. But, uh, yeah, it's been great. Surmise, again, exciting business. And, you know, whoever's watching this podcast has probably seen them uh, being mentioned on major kind of tech publications. For, for you, what was the reason behind joining Surmise out of all businesses? So the previous company I was at before Surmise, I actually knew Tom uh, and Dave, the co-founders of Surmise. So I knew them a little bit. And uh, the, my role at that company was, it was, we were working in IT um, management, so making sure people's machines were kind of managed and asset tracked and all the rest of it. Uh, but my role in that was really to try and look towards the next generation of products. How can we take what we do today, which is very much a, an on-premise style software deployment, what, can, what do we need to do with the cloud, mobile? You know, back in the mid-2000s, it was a lot around like mobile, cloud, social, all those kind of things. So we wanted to be relevant in that space. Mm -hmm. So my role was was to head up what we call the research team, but it's just kind of looking at how can we take some of the stuff we're really good at today yeah. and merge that with the, the potential new world. Um, so for, for quite a number of years, I was looking at new stuff, developing pr proof of concept ideas and stuff like that. I just really, really found that super interesting. Mm -hmm. But gotta be honest, like after a, after a couple of years, because we weren't shipping products, you kind of feel a little bit disconnected sure. to the real world. And there's a lot of those real world problems that you're not experiencing. So then we changed that role into more around new products, but actually delivery. So version one technology sets. And I went through like two or three things at the company delivering V1s. So it's almost like a startup just without perhaps some of the money challenges that startups have. So it's all like that. Worked with a really good team. And uh, yeah, we just loved, just loved the coming into work and it was so exciting trying new things and actually delivering, hearing from customers, bringing that back into the product that we were working on. So when I spoke to Tom about potentially joining Surmise, it just sounded like the perfect company. You know, legal as a sector, 
is is definitely interesting. Mm-hmm. Perhaps if you were to kind of use these words, it's a little bit behind where some of the like the tech revolutions happened in other sectors. Mm-hmm. Like look at fintech, you know, finance is very different than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. And I think probably legal legal's a little bit behind where fintech is. So I think we're going to see some rapid acceleration in the adoption of tech in legal. And that's where Surmise plays. So it was, it was really interesting. A startup, you know, delivering new products into a market which hasn't quite found its feet with technology maybe yet. So you kind of can bring all the skills together. So And, it, and a great team as well. You know, the, 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 the founding of Surmise, the team there. And as we've grown, the culture's brilliant. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not taking myself, obviously. I don't know if you could tell. But I know um, it's, it, of course, involves going through contracts, reading them, and picking out the key points, right? Um, using artificial intelligence, machine learning. I'm sorry if I butchered that. Could you, I guess, give us a, a more technical overview of it and, I guess, the origin story, which is fa- a fantastic story? Yeah, I love the story. It's probably been kind of maybe expanded and exaggerated as, as it's gone along. But it was the company I worked for, like I say, with, with Tom and Dave. Um, Tom was the GC there, and he was asked to review 100 contracts. Might, we might be up to like 400 in the story now, I'm not sure, but whatever it was, 400 contracts. He got asked to review these as part of a, an M&A um, thing and pulled out a load of information out of these 400 contracts, which was great. And then a week later, he got asked to go through again those 400 contracts for a different piece of information, did that again. I think the third time of asking, he got a little bit frustrated with the entire experience. And Tom's really, he's a... He doesn't code at Surmise, but he's definitely an entrepreneurial mindset that kind of wants to kind of look at technology and how can he bring that into what he does generally. Right. So he got talking to Dave, like I say, the, the co-founder, and they just started to pull some ideas about how can we take a medium to large volume of contracts and turn those into a summary? How can we, how can we automate what he had to do manually? So that's really the origin story of Surmise, like taking, taking contracts turn it into a summary that I think the key bit to to really stress is we're not looking to replace the lawyer mm-hmm. uh, the lawyer whether through education experience whatever it may be is is an expert in their field but then you look at some of the tasks that they perhaps have to do on a daily basis and they're time consuming repetitive and, and fairly simple in some cases mm-hmm. so how can we bring technology to solve those kind of problems and let the, the lawyer be the lawyer you know, be a strategic advisor into the business and, and the guidance. So kind of helping them really like to think more of augmented intelligence rather than artificial intelligence. So the best things a computer can do coupled with the best things a human can do. I think that's what really you're going to see some, some acceleration in legal around that as people start to adopt these kind of legal tech products. That's amazing. And, and again, I love that story because you've got Tom Dunlop, who again, co-founder of the business, who himself was a, a, in the legal legal sector GC, of course. So he understands the pain points of, uh, of lawyers and solicitors and that sort of stuff. Um, he had an issue, a frustration, and then used tech to solve that problem and, and now is, is realized that, okay, this is, other people need to see this and have a go on it. Yeah, so it's, that's, that's incredible, it really is. And so when you started in Surmise, how big was the business when you started versus now? So I started uh, a month before COVID, which is probably a milestone that everyone Kind of, you know, we need to mention the date, but yeah, I started a month, month before COVID. At the time, it was a handful of people, uh, and I joined. We then kind of accelerated the sales team and the marketing team, so we've grown quite a, quite a lot since I joined. 
like I say, at the time, the product was really centered around what we talked about with the summarizing contracts. Mm -hmm. What I found interesting from a, from a product and technology perspective is like, what's the adjacent steps in the contract lifecycle? What comes before summarizing the contract? And what do you, why do you want to summarize it and what comes after? And I think what we've done, we've accelerated quite a lot over the last couple of years is, is kind of owning those, the multiple stages of the contract lifecycle. Right. So all the way from creation, which we've got a really simple way of, of business people, you know, not necessarily the lawyers, being able to create a contract through a very guided approach, mm -hmm. which again, if it's an NDA or a very simple legal agreement, it's probably the parties, the dates, and a few other tiny bits of information that changes. So if that takes an hour's worth of your GC time, each one to create, mm -hmm. it's an obvious area for, for technology to kind of step in and help that whole process out. So guided by the lawyer, what kind of actioned through the technology. And that's really where we've kind of seen a lot of growth in surmise is kind of touching these points almost like beyond the lawyer or outside of the lawyer. So we, we aim to help the lawyer do what they do, but also help um, the lawyer deliver their services into, into businesses and the business users. So kind of connect it all together. That then obviously helps stuff like deal velocity and the business productivity and et cetera. So seeing huge gains off that. I think coming back to what I said before about joining uh, Surmise a month before COVID. Yeah. Obviously we all experienced this, but the the shift almost overnight from in-office experiences to Zoom Teams experiences was was pretty dramatic. And that's where we as a as a business like how we're looking at legal, how can we make legal easy? Well, it's clear we need to think about how we deliver our technology, our product experiences into those virtual offices. Mm -hmm. So how can we bring, how can we make legal easy through Teams? How can we make legal easy through Slack? Because in more cases, particularly like COVID, but in more cases since then, like that's where all your business people, that's where all the users are, is in Teams. If you want to engage legal services, then the best place to do it is through Teams rather than having to look elsewhere, find whatever other technology you might be using, but you don't know what the website is, you don't know what the, the where the app is, whereas if it's in Teams, then it's just to hand. We've delivered that piece, and we've seen like huge adoption of that because, like I say, it, it helps all around. So it's making it as easy as possible to use. Yeah, exactly right. Okay, great. Because um, I remember there was some figures that you told me, told me through last time. It was the amount of hours it can save um, a person using it I don't know if you have the figures to hand. I've not got the figures to hand, but but I think what, it's a really interesting question. So you kind of like, I'm not a lawyer and I've never um, been involved in in kind of legal activities as such. Sure. But I think you just have to look at the problem. This is what I really enjoy. Look at the problem um, and engage with domain experts. So I listen to Tom as the ex-GC, listen to customers, potential customers, always got kind of eyes and ears open to what's going on. So we were talking to a, uh, a customer one day and they said one of the most frustrating things they have to deal with is they get emails in from around the business asking them to review a contract. Mm -hmm. like, Please review this contract. In most cases, it's late on a Friday, you know, just before the weekend awesome. in most cases. And in, and in most cases as well, the, the request doesn't include any contextual information. It's just review this contract now. If, that's, if that contract is with your most important supplier at the most important time of the year, the lawyer's probably going to do that before they go away for the weekend. Yeah. 
Whereas if it's less important, maybe they can kind of go for the weekend and come in and do it on Monday. But that contextual information is critically important, right? So the first thing the lawyer is going to do, reply back to the requester and ask for a couple of bits of information, like how important is this? When do you need a response by? Are there any key things I need to know? Well, obvious there, technology can step in. So one of the parts, one of the abilities of surmise is to sit in between those two points. So the lawyer can configure the questions they need to know generally. Mm -hmm. So then when the, the business user uses our system through Teams or Slack and asks, can you review this contract? Well, we automatically ask them to pre-fill in these questions. It sounds really simple, and I think it really is yeah. really when you think about it. But when coming back to your question, the speed improvement there, you only have to just look at it very quickly. You've solved, the lawyer hasn't had to receive an email and read it without the contextual information. Mm -hmm. They haven't had to reply. The business user answered the questions at the point they asked for the review rather than sometime later and they've kind of forgotten what they wanted. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, the, you know, you kind of start to see how technology can really play an important part. And like I say, that augmented aspect. Uh, and then the, the, the whole process gets sped up across the board. And it's not just review. Same, same thing's true for uh, creating contracts. You can see how we can speed that up one. Uh, we... We also work in Microsoft Word, which is where many lawyers do, and we help speed up the process there. So whether that's creation, negotiation, et cetera, helps speed the process there. And then again, all the way through to the end of the life cycle, which is you have a signed contract mm -hmm. or you have many signed contracts. What's in them? What do I need to know about? When's a contract expiring? How does this contract perform against my business's risk appetite or How's this contract perform against other contracts? Are the payment terms within our bounds? So that's what we that's what Surmise can do. And it gives you all that information. So you wrap all that together. Yeah. The productivity improvements are, are really staggering. And the performance improvements. And then that all feeds back into, like I say, making the lawyer and the legal services of a business much more effective, the entire business more effective. And then frees up the lawyer, like I say, to be more of a strategic guider rather than stuck in email all the time answering questions that they you know we can help them with so we're all really simple practical solutions but all in one place that you can use what does the the future of surmise look like i mean what's the next steps of surmise because again you're is it 30 odd people right now that's right yeah yeah 30 odd people right now what's the plan for the next 12 months 18 months and we're, we're growing really rapidly so it's continuing on that curve amazing so that's almost almost a a given um, the stage we're at. Um, I think the next real stages for us is kind of like taking the next level up, look at the contract lifecycle. So at each stage, what we've tried to do is build the foundations that then can set us up for the next stage. Okay. So starting with the ability to summarize a contract, which is relevant when you, whether it's signed, like post-signature or pre-signature and negotiation, once we had that technology, we could then bring that to Microsoft Word. Mm -hmm. So how can we get a quick summary in Microsoft Word? And then from that, when you're in Word and you're negotiating contracts, you kind of want to see what clauses you've used previously okay, or, or what your company guidance is. We call that the playbook, as many people do, but that's your playbook, which is contextually aware within Word. So we've got that solved. Then you're thinking when you're um, creating a new contract, you're probably going to want to create that contract based off existing clauses that you've, you're happy with and you've negotiated. Nice. So you can see how we then we bring the playbook 
into uh, the creation process. You see all these things are kind of layering on top of each other. Um, we are spending a lot of time looking into analytics. So how does this um, contract compare against the different one? Again, another next stage for us really around the playbook effectiveness. So when you're negotiating the contract, if you always pick the most favorable position for yourself, mm-hmm. like you kind of expect the third party is going to negotiate to a different place. Sure. Well, what happens if you knew that your starting point never ended up into a final signed contract? It tells you something around the negotiation process that maybe, maybe if you start from a, something that's closer to the middle ground, you take a negotiation process down from like two weeks or a month, maybe down to days because there's less backwards and forwards. That's very interesting. Okay. So that analytics across the board, how effective is your business at creating contracts? How much standardization do you need? So really applying analytics on top of all the stuff we do and extending across the entire contract lifecycle, which we do already, but kind of expanding. And then I think really, you know, we talked about uh, Teams and Slack. That's where people are. So that's where we want our software to be. So they don't have to use, learn new technologies, but really expanding the integrations that Samaris offers to kind of, give you the ability to make take and use what you need of Smize, what makes sense for you as a business, but also integrate that into the other systems that you've already got, that your business has already adopted. So it's it's kind of, we're not looking to totally replace processes. Mm-hmm. We're looking to kind of enhance and accelerate through those integrations. And wow. I, think we're, I think we're going to see a, a big uh, increase in the integrations we've got from, from Smize in the coming months. Exciting stuff, exciting stuff. And I, and I guess it, going out there and, and, and offering people the software, making it literally just as easy as possible to use. I guess for you, and, and I, I know we talked about this the other day, it's, it's almost like this kind of, you've got this feedback loop of like going out to market and, and speaking to customers and being like, okay, oh, can it do this? Not yet, but it can do it. It will do soon. I, you know, you're taking this feedback from customers and then just implementing it, which seems so simple. But yeah, it's clearly with the Slack integration, team integrations that sort of stuff that's right yeah i think like you look at like software as an industry technology and industry like 20 years ago kind of talking about agile sure and you can see like that kind of mindset about adapting to change you know day in day out things change so adapt to that make different decisions today than you did you would have done yesterday and you've seen agile come into other business departments and you see like a bit of a revolution in how business works through that agile mindset started off in heavily adopted within software at least Mm. i think what you've seen over the last five to ten years is concept called devops devops is around bringing development and operations together Mm. typically it was it was you throw it over the wall to to operations and they'd have to have the responsibility of how do we deliver this to customers and in quite often cases it was it was not possible or the customer ended up with a subpar experience because it wasn't they weren't thought about really from from day one so like i said ultimately the customer suffers in that particular scenario. Right. And then the net consequences there is um, either like shelfware, so people aren't using the product or the customer's disgruntled generally, like I said, just a general subpar experience overall. So we like to think much more around product engineering. Mm-hmm. So we're writing software to deliver a product to customers because they have a problem or, or something we're trying to help them out with. So really trying to bring that together which is why all of our engineers regularly speak to customers. They regularly engage with customers and just like generally just listen, eyes and ears open. We quite often talk about just kind of soak up what's going on because in many cases, 
what we've experienced is you you hear a particular pain point from from a lawyer or a potential customer on a call. The actual solution is for us, given some of the software we've written and some of the foundations we've got, can often be quite quick. Mm-hmm. We can implement that, but without hearing and understanding what those points are, you're never going to guess to that solution in the first place. So, like I say, keeping those bits together is is really critical. And I think that 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 joining of the phases, like the life cycle, whether that be for contracts with our customers or whether it be for business departments. I think following Agile's adoption into the rest of the business, I think we're going to start to see this DevOps mindset, so bringing departments much closer together, much more joined, rather than the siloed departments that might have might have been the, the more common case. That's, I love that, and I, and, I, and I really like that idea of people being product engineers rather than just software engineers, because I guess it's a mindset thing, right? Where if you're a software engineer, you're just writing code, but what's the, what's the purpose, you know? I, product engineers like no, I'm writing code for a product that I'm creating. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that, and I, I assume everyone in your business is down as a product engineer, then, right? I, that's how you. I mean, I think it's, it's it's a bit more of an internal. Got you. Tied up. I think if you put that on on LinkedIn, probably yeah. people wouldn't understand what it meant. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. But, uh, but I think it's, it's more like it's, it's like I say, it's the mindset. It's yeah. Get yourself in the mindset that you're writing software for a reason, rather than you're getting paid to write code, mm-hmm. which is very very different. Yeah, that, I think that's fantastic. And you talked about Agile there as well, and I know a lot of people have different views of Agile. How would you define Agile uh, within Samize? Yes, I mean, if you, if you go back all the way to the Agile Manifesto, it talks about kind of we favor X over Y. Mm-hmm. It's, not very, it's not totally prescriptive. It's not like you need to do this process. It's more we, we think these things are more important than other things. So if, if it comes down to a decision between the two, we're going to favor X. So people talk about agile with a lowercase a as being that mindset and agile with an uppercase a being a bit more process driven. I like to think much more in the lowercase one. So you come into the office uh, or work from home, you, you, know, you kind of, you start your work and you think like, what is, what is the most important thing to do right now for me, for the business, for our customers, and really kind of bring that on board. Obviously you don't want to be chopping and changing on an hourly basis, but kind of like, you know, What's the most important thing we can do right now? And then delivering on it. So going all the way through all the stages, from, from the, particularly for, for us as engineers, like writing the code, testing it, validating it, refining it, delivering it to customers. That whole thing gets joined together. So pre-Agile, a lot of business, a lot of softwares use Waterfall. Mm-hmm. I quite like the stages in Waterfall as in terms of kind of you write the code, you work out what you want to do, write the code, test it, deliver it. But think of that on a much shorter timescale, right. as in hours and days rather than months and years, which is so the combination of the two is actually quite interesting, mm-hmm. I find. And I think that that overall and how we do stuff at Samize is is based around that kind of mindset that we we kind of listen, eyes and ears open, like I say, listen to what the most important thing to do is, then get together as a group and work out how we're going to solve this problem with everyone's ideas kind of coming together. And then we go off and implement it, and then say all the way through with, with the feedback all the way through that as well. So really trying to do that. And we work at a really fast pace as well, which I'm thankful that the team that I'm part of loves that kind of experience. Right. And I think we've, we've shown that through the features we've delivered and the progress we've made as a product from a, from a relatively small software team. We've made, we've made huge advancements, so... Yeah, I absolutely love it. Brilliant. And the tech team, the minute, what t- what size? 
are we looking at? We are six currently, and we're growing. Nice. So yeah, always looking for new new engineers, new people to join that team. I was just going to say that this is your chance to plug it if you were going to plug any jobs. <laughs> yeah. So uh, engineers, any any of the roles that Versamai is looking for right now? I mean, as anybody is in the the SaaS space, like DevOps is important to us as well. And then like fundamental around the the experience we're delivering to customers is that UX, the user experience role awesome. right the way through from like the design, research and kind of interaction um, design as well. So yeah, the, the, whole, the whole spectrum really. Great. And I, I know we, we, you kind of touched on it before and you've got a gorgeous office in the city centre of Manchester, obviously, uh, really central. But in terms of remote working, how often are you doing that? How flexible is it? So I tend to come into the office a couple of days a week at the moment. Um, some of the people on the dev team do similar, and then others are, are much more remote. Awesome. Um, we a lot of us work together previous company to kind of know each other pretty well, and uh, we've we've found that the the flexibility that comes from that hybrid style of work has helped us hugely. The productivity we actually saw. I mean, I know this isn't the case for, for many people, but actually during COVID, we saw a huge acceleration in our productivity. Wow. So cutting out the commute uh, and all those kind of things, we actually, yeah, our features almost doubled that we were delivering per month, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure my kids were particularly happy when <laughs> they, were, they were trying to like homeschool and all the rest of it. Yeah. Well, it was quite interesting. I think what we've done since some of the uh, the rules and the lockdowns have come in is kind of like, look back and say what was the what were the good things mm-hmm. about that stage is for us and I, I know many people were pretty badly affected by it mm-hmm. um, but yeah what, what worked well during that, that that phase when it was kind of forced and what didn't and trying to bring those two bits together to blend so we quite often get together as a group for creative sessions but then when it's the the heads down I need to concentrate to deliver this feature they're, they're much more suited to that kind of work from home headphones on just kind of get down and really focus. Great stuff. And yeah, and I'm sure that does come from a, a, the case that you've worked together for quite some time, you know each other, but it's awesome that you've got that kind of flexible working model. If people want to come in more often, they can do. If you want to be more remote, they can do. Because it doesn't work, the same thing doesn't work for everybody, right? You know, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy to think that that, that would be the case. And that, that, that's the key thing, I mm. think. You know, you quite often see in the papers these days about maybe some of the execs saying everybody needs to be in the office for, you know, X no X percent of the week, and some MPs have mentioned the same things as well. Yeah, I'm not gonna mention any names, but uh, I think I think most important thing to do is like kind of do the right thing for your business and the role, whatever whatever sector you're in, whatever your job is. It's like what's the right thing for you, for your team, for the business, and as an employee, you have like responsibilities towards the business. There's things that you need to contribute. There's things that you need to do. Now, what's the best way to help you do that? And then also, you need to be aware of the, the groups around you. So if you're working closely with other people or or perhaps more at your the earlier stages of your career when you're kind of looking to just like listen into conversations and kind of feel things and experience things rather than necessarily driving those conversations. I think the in-office experience is is significantly better. I think you'll see from quite a few of the the teams in surmise they as a team much prefer that in-office experience. And then other roles, kind of the, like I say, the, perhaps more in the engineering side of things, there are significant benefits to be able to do that concentration for a period of time, which you get from home that you perhaps don't get from, from being in the office. And then say, if you can cut the commit, uh, cut the commute as well, 
there's a, there's a decent chunk of time that you're saving there. Plus the flexibility, you know, that comes with that one. So really aware that certain roles are very fortunate to be more flexible than others. Sure. If you're on the phone with customers, you time kind of based on their time scale rather than or their the hours that they work rather than the hours that you work but in the product side of things like I say, we can be a bit more flexible i think it's obviously extremely practical that that way of looking at things and luckily i think a lot of businesses are clocking on to the fact that that's that's the way it should be especially within tech right it's such a massive um shortage of talent in the tech community why would you um make the pool that you're fishing from any smaller by requiring people to be in the office all the time by making them work uh, a certain set of hours that that is just has been set as a standard by whatever had been grandfathered in. Why would you, yeah? Why would you only fish from I say Manchester rather than looking into like Yorkshire or the Midlands? And, and it's it's crazy. It really is. I just on just on that again talking about flexibility. Talking about your tech team, obviously growing, which is incredible to hear. You've been leading tech teams for for quite some time. Have you identified a kind of leadership style that you have adopted? I've been really fortunate to be in a few different roles. I even um, was, was incredibly fortunate to live in the the States for a couple of years in Silicon Valley. So took my really young family out there. We opened up an office and it was an incredible experience about seeing how different different people, different cultures, Silicon Valley do things differently. Yeah. It was actually one of the things that really stuck in my mind for that one was early on in that process, went out there, hired a first couple of Silicon Valley natives. You know, they'd kind of been around and done some stuff. Yeah. And uh, we were working on this new concept for the business, which we were really, really excited about. Came into the office the next day and on uh, the front page of TechCrunch, there's a popular tech website, but the front page of TechCrunch was a, a startup that just announced a huge investment and they were doing exactly the same as what we were aiming to do right bingo what you say there so my first reaction was oh well let's think of another idea yeah right the silicon valley native immediately said awesome someone's validated that idea as being valuable let's go faster nice okay and that stuck in my mind ever since as like there's different styles of tackling a problem different approaches from a your question was around leadership uh-huh. i think Okay, I've been involved in a, in a couple of different roles, that one particularly, and, and others as well, managing people. And I think what I've, what I've found is my personal preference is to be part individual, individual contributor, mm-hmm. part leader, part manager, and kind of blend all those bits together. But I think really, coming back to the product engineer, you kind of only really learn when you're delivering to customers. When the rubber meets the road is when you really learn. Mm-hmm. So the further you get away from delivering to customers as an engineer, the the more stale your experiences get, the more stale your knowledge gets. And over a period of time, you've become really disconnected. Right. So working for Surmise, which is currently smaller, with a really dynamic group of people and, uh, and a great culture means you can, I can blend those two bits together. Yeah. So I think my leadership style is right, be part of the team, but also kind of be encouraging the team to kind of get better, make the next progress and just kind of encourage from within rather than wanting a title, you know, and, and, and wanting kind of that kind of elevated position on the org chart. It really doesn't make any sense to me. Love that. So you want to be in and, and the, at the cold face um, of the, of the issue, speaking to the customers, test, fail, test, fail, test, fail, find things out. Yeah, many people like you talk about like leading from the front. Mm. Look at like a, any sports team. I think 
businesses, if you think more of them as sports teams than families, your mind's in the right place. So, you know, everybody has a role to play. Yeah. How well you're doing on that. Sometimes you perhaps don't have, you know, have a bit of an off day, need a bit of an arm around the shoulder. Mm. Other times you might need a little bit of encouragement to kind of step it up, all kind of working together. And it's only when everyone works together or you function as a, as a team that you're successful. Yes. So I think it's important that you're not just sat on the sidelines shouting orders because, you know, might work for a short period of time, but ultimately it, it doesn't, you know, you look at any successful sports team, there's a blend of a whole load of different personalities, a whole load of roles. And when they come together, like you achieve things that really exceed the individual. I mean, I follow football. You look at in recent times, quite quite a lot of money's been involved in some of the more successful clubs, but look back, you don't have to look back to Leicester mm-hmm. to realise that if everything comes together and you can get that, you don't need, you know, you don't need to be kind of wadded. Quite. Yeah, well, I, was, I was trying to avoid that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a very articulate <laughs> term, but um, yeah, I, I'm. No, I, I get what you mean, and that's that's an interesting fact, isn't it? They, they, they went through. Um, well, a lot of companies went through a stage of saying, "Oh, come join our family," or you know, um, "We're building a big family here," which is lovely on the face of it. But if you really think about it, you want to be building teams, not families. I don't think I don't feel I feel a family isn't the kind of environment where they are holding each other accountable or anything like that it's almost like oh we'll love you we'll love you either way but i don't think that's responsible right in a business you want to you want people to be the best they possibly can be and i think a family environment isn't conducive to that i mean there's certain elements like you know feeling safe and secure you know part of a unit is really important Absolutely. but then again like you know bring your best bring your best work Mm-hmm. You know, like I say, you're working with almost all businesses is more than just a single person. Sure. Right. So what's your, what are you contributing to that? Are you kind of accelerating things or are you dragging things down? You know, where, where, where do you fit? And I think it's, it's, it works, like I say, it works best when everyone brings their best abilities to the team, which I think when you, you look at kind of diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. why that's so critically important that you get that as part of, of your business. Because everyone's got different thoughts, different experiences, different processes that they kind of favour, and it's when you bring those two, when you bring those two bits together in a in a culture that accepts those mm. and adopts them, and then iterates and learns. I think that's where you see really good stuff. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I mean, I'm in a team of, of of people who, admittedly, aren't all good at one thing. That would, that would be ridiculous, right? You wouldn't hire a football team full of strikers because it just wouldn't make exactly. any sense. Yeah. That's that's very interesting. So, look, it sounds like Samize is doing amazingly well. What what do we need to be keeping an eye out for next with with Samize? What's what we're going to be seeing in the papers? What we're going to be seeing inside the media and all these different publications? I mean, you're certainly going to see us grow. Yeah, we're sure on that one. Awesome. And I think it, it's like I say, talked, talked a little bit before about fintech. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing adoption of that one? When you look across the legal tech sector, no one product has, has been fully adopted yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're going to start to see over the next couple of years is the, the, the technology really starting to get bedded into, into businesses, really start to see this acceleration, thinking much more around legal as a service rather than legal as a department. And I think we're going to see huge acceleration across the sector in terms of, in terms of that. And obviously, we hope that surmise is it the leading part of that as well? I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will be. And look, we always like to kind of wrap things up with a, with a couple of questions, one of which I think is really important. And um, luckily you admitted that you've been in, the, in tech since the 80s. Um, you know, a long career in tech. What, has there ever been a time that you've royally fluffed up and 
If so, what did you learn from it? So the, the, it was it was actually during my childhood. So like I said, my dad was involved in some level of IT and we, we got some computers and stuff, some early adopters. I remember one of them was we um, we got a printer, a, a dot matrix printer, which I don't know. I don't if you know, know what that no, one is. I don't think so. It was more like a typewriter. <laughs> okay. So it had the the letters were all printed on a ball and it, it kind of worked like a typewriter, but driven by a computer. And my dad told me, don't don't plug it in to the computer when the electricity is onto it. I right. kind of forgot and we fried the the board on that one. So that destroyed that printer, which he wasn't too pleased with. The was quite expensive. It was at the time it was pretty expensive, yeah. Oh, God. That didn't particularly work. <laughs> and then um another ex experiment I was doing with uh, the family computer was just trying a new piece of software and ended up formatting the hard drive and we had to start again. But that, that was early. I've not made too many mistakes since then, hopefully. Of course, yeah. Well, what did you learn from those mistakes? Was it just, if, if your family tell you to leave the computer alone, leave the computer alone? Uh, probably, probably not so much because I, <laughs> I didn't suffer the consequences, I guess. But um, I don't know. It's a little bit of experimentation, a little bit of listening. And, and clearly those experiments led you to where you are now, right? And, and got, you know, you had it clearly had an interest in computers. So, yeah, makes complete sense. And we did talk about... Again, a book that you would recommend. We did talk about a book just before we, we kind of logged onto the podcast. Um, yeah, so if you had to recommend a book, what, what would you recommend? So there's a, there's a whole load of books that I've, I, I love books, love podcasts, love kind of learning new stuff. So there's probably a whole load that uh, people already know about. But one that I found really helpful uh, like around visual communication is a book called Back of the Napkin by Dan Rome. And what he does, it's a really small book, really easy to digest. He kind of looks at communication from a diagram perspective. So you want to convey an idea, typically when you're on a whiteboard or whatever it be, you're trying to convey something through a diagram. Mm -hmm. And he, he does a really nice diagram he's got in his book where he maps out the different things you want to try and communicate. Mm -hmm. So is it like a relative size thing you're trying to, is it a relative problem? Is it a proximity thing you're trying to convey? And then he suggests these little cartoon drawings. They're really super simple to draw about different diagrams you might use to convey that information. And I found, I, I love jumping on the whiteboard anyway and you know, kind of drawing stuff out, but I found that book super helpful in terms of communicating ideas uh, and like say, think through what you're trying to communicate, pick one of his diagram styles and then use that. And I found it to be incredibly effective. Wonderful, great. Well, I'll, I'll be buying that after. I've got a very expensive but list of books I need to buy now. So, but thank you for the, all the guests that have come on. But no, look, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. It's, it sounds like Smize is, is, yeah, rocketing to the center of the universe and it's incredible. Thank you for coming on. Really excited to see where Smize is in the next 12 to 24 months. Yeah, thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks, Jack. It's been great to talk to you.